From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, April 7th. Listener, it's the first day of Radiothon, our biannual grassroots fundraiser to support this wild and woolly community radio station. And for those tuning in live today, you'll know there's something special going on. We're calling it the Grateful Day of the Dead. It's an all-day dead marathon featuring interviews, special guests, and of course, live tracks of the legendary band. Planning for this dead day, station manager Sarah Mead asked me, any chance we can do a Grateful Dead-themed newscast? Sure, Sarah. Sure we can. If you happen into a conversation about the rock, folk, country, jazz, bluegrass psych band that is the Grateful Dead, it really doesn't take long for the band's legendary guitarist and arguable leader, Jerry Garcia, to come up. Garcia passed away in 1995, so we cannot request an interview with him. But Moab does have Jared Garcia, the chief of police. Honestly, my parents just liked the name Jared, and they they uh, they definitely were not deadheads, and so... Um, that's the best that I that I can come up with as far as what they decided for me. Jared Garcia being very amenable to this fun conversation. Its premise, just how similar is legendary guitarist Jerry Garcia to our local police chief, Jared Garcia? First question, family background. So Jerry Garcia's father was an immigrant from Spain and his mother was of Irish and Swedish descent. Any similarities there? Actually, yes. My my family um, origins do come from Spain as well. At least that's what my grandfather told me many years ago. And and uh, my, my mother does have some Irish descent in her as well. Second question, childhood music. Jerry Garcia's um, first love was reportedly country music. He used to listen to the Grand Old Opry every Saturday night. And his first record was a Hank Williams record. What music did you grow up with? So I actually, when I was young, I, I had a strong distaste for country music. And my dad listened to a lot of uh, Latin or Mexican music. So I had a strong distaste for both of those as when I was young. Um, but now that I'm older, I absolutely love country music. It's my favorite music. And I go to many country concerts. And, and I've come to appreciate my heritage and, and Mexican music. And I actually enjoy listening to it, even though I don't understand every word that's a part of it. So you grew up with both country and Mexican music. And now this is the stuff you're listening to. Absolutely. You know, you're always a product of your environment. And, and it, it definitely became a, something that initially probably was nostalgic for me. And now I, that's all I listen to. Third question, career. Jerry Garcia performed with the Grateful Dead for the band's entire 30-year career, which 30 years of the Grateful Dead, 65 to 95, and he had numerous side projects. And I'm curious if you have a similar career trajectory and any side projects, if they exist, and what those are. <laughs> well, I mean, I've been in law enforcement for 21 years. I mean, you know, never know I can make it 30 years and had many... Uh, I, I guess side projects I do uh, with my little brother. We kind of have a, we call it like a side hustle where we, we enjoy hunting and we grew up in a poor neighborhood in Salt Lake and we've always asked ourselves why it was so expensive to do that. And so we, we started a little company where we make clothing and we're just getting it off the ground and, and it's kind of fun. It's like a side, just, to, just something that we're passionate about and we're hoping that one day we can help, uh, you know, people like the, us that didn't have everything growing up to uh, make that more affordable for them. Fourth question, favorite tools for the job? 
Jerry Garcia played a lot of guitars during his career, um, from very cheap budget models to very custom made instruments. I'm curious if you have a favorite instrument, AKA tool that you use on the job. As far as instruments in other, you asked me about the job, I have zero musical talent for the record. So, or artistic talent, but I do have a brother that is, is an outstanding musician and plays the guitar. So my tools in life are always sports tools. I was very good at athletics. I played baseball and basketball and golf. And then as far as tools on the job, I mean, it's, you know, a lot of people think about typical police tools like guns and cars and tasers. But for me, it's just uh, learning how to, it's the tool of communication and trying to be a better communicator with people and explain the why, because that's really what's important. I've learned over the years, these all these other tools and things that are involved in our job are not important, but being able to talk to people is. Fifth question, experience with drug arrests. Jerry Garcia had a long um, history of addiction. His band had an intervention for him in 1985, kind of famously. He ended up going to a drug diversion program after an arrest, and he tapered his drug use, and by the spring of 1986 was reportedly abstinent. So what is your familiarity with drug arrests and possession? Well, I have personally arrested probably hundreds of people for drug use and possession. You know what I would say, though, is over the years in this career, I've found that uh, there, there are a lot of different ways that we can help people that are in that scenario, and we're constantly looking for solutions outside of arrest. Some people do need to be arrested, and we obviously need to be excellent at identifying those individuals, but also we can't forget that they are human beings and they're going through a struggle and there are potential opportunities for us to help them. Find a solution like Jerry Garcia, right? And now the final question in the Jerry versus Jared Garcia investigation, a really important one. In 1987, the famous Vermont ice cream maker Ben & Jerry's introduced their Cherry Garcia flavor dedicated to him, to Jerry Garcia. So do you know of this flavor? Do you like it? And if if so or if not, what's your favorite type of ice cream? I am familiar with it, and I have I do not like cherry ice cream. So, but I, obviously, throughout my life, people confuse Jared with Jerry Garcia many times. Um, but my favorite ice cream is probably like cookie dough or chocolate chip ice cream. Has anyone else asked you about your similarities or differences to Jerry Garcia? You know, not really, because he's a little bit before my time. I mean, I was born in the 80s, but you know, I do have a, he's a great uncle and his name was Junior Garcia and he looked exactly like Jerry Garcia. And I wish I could share a photo. One day I will share a photo with you, Molly, so you can see it. Uh, but that's about the closest similarity that I have. Did your family kind of <laughs> razz him about it? Uh, yeah, we would tease him. And whenever someone would ask us, they'd ask us, well, who's, who's, the, who's your relative that looks like Jerry Garcia? And he really did look like him. And so uh, the fact that you approached me about this this fun opportunity to help with your fundraiser made me it made me think of my uncle who's no longer with us and how many, how many good times I had with him. So I appreciate you letting me be a part of this uh, fun little experiment. Jared Garcia, Moab's chief of police, kindly entertaining our investigation into just how similar the local police chief might be to legendary guitarist Jerry Garcia. All right, next, we're moving on to another investigation of sorts. This time with station manager Sarah Mead. Since I've been here, I've noticed that sometimes things just show up at the station. Yes. Can you talk a little <laughs> bit about that as station manager? What have you noticed that kind of shows up? Besides people? <laughs> yeah, besides people, objects. There, you know, I said that in jest, yes. But I will also say that 
KZMU has a history of, of, of like attracting. It's sort of this magnet in, in, in the town, mm-hmm. um, especially in the springtime. When the weather turns, sometimes it's in the fall too, and there's like interesting shoulder seasons where there's like a, a bit of relief from something, whether it's a relief from cold or a relief from hot. Like things and people start showing up here, whether it's like a bunch of brand new DJs or mm-hmm. a community member that just, just comes by and wants to hang out for a long time for several days. You know, it's like a, and, and this is kind of an open space. That's the whole point mm-hmm. of community radio is that we are inclusive and mm-hmm. it's like yeah if you want a space here you can have it mm-hmm. and that kind of translates to objects as well and the listeners might know that we have a little sculpture garden that's growing on the corner of our parking lot i came up to the work one morning and was parking my car and saw this like figure in in my periphery and quickly looked over and noticed that there was a massive like seven foot tall sculpture mounted to the telephone pole at the corner of the KCMU property that I had never seen before. (laughs) And then like several months later, there was another one that just showed up next to that. And now there's a third one. And somewhere else on the property, there's like a plastic chair that's screwed into the corner of a fence. And it's... I didn't even know about that one. (laughs) It's there. It took me a while to find it. And then I was in a remote corner of our little tiny lot and Uh was like, what is going on in that corner? There's a lawn chair screwed to the fence. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So things are appearing here. Yeah. And disappearing also. We we can't find our folding table. (laughs) Okay. Well, that is important. So anyone is out there listening to this, where is our folding table? Yes. Where is it? Do you have it? Because we don't have it. Okay, and then there's one object that is fitting into the theme of this newscast yes. that appeared. Tell yeah. us about this. So um, another thing that appeared one day when I showed up nice and early to work, parked my car, uh, looked up at the building, and there in front of me um, was a sign on the side of the building that said, uh, Deadhead Parking Only, and there was a dancing bear. And it's like, it looks like a street sign. Like it's white with red, kind of debossed lettering. Um, and my first reaction was, I hope that's not screwed into the building. <laughs> <laughs> because the aforementioned lawn chair, right. the original position was on the building itself. And oh. then thankfully it was moved, moved to a different location. So mm-hmm. my first instinct was, I hope this isn't affixed with screws. Once I determined that... It really tickled me. This station is, there's so many people at this station, young and old, that are deeply obsessed with the Grateful Dead. And growing up, that I was surrounded by people like that too. And I thank this station for even opening the door to the Grateful Dead for me personally. Mm-hmm. So when I saw it, I, I kind of loved it, but had no idea how it got there, or who put it there. Um, It didn't seem like the kind of thing that any of the Fire on the Mountain DJs would do that I know of Mm -hmm. um, or even would have or, you know, Mm -hmm. I was it was a lot of questions came up for me. Well, Sarah Mead, we solved the mystery. You're kidding. Full disclosure, listener, Sarah, you were suspicious. You tipped me off. (laughs) You tipped me off and I made a phone call and here's what the person had to say. Yeah. That was given to me by, uh, what is it? His name is Rock. He owns uh, the record store in Grand Junction. What's the name of that record store? I forget. It's Triple Play Records. 
And that's Jim Collins, also known as James T. Kirk of the Rock Wasteland, heard every Thursday night from 7 to 9 on KZMU. And he says he was at the record store on station business. You know, I was trying to get him to be a underwriter. And, you know, I was talking to him various times going out there. And one of the times he's like, yeah, here, take this. And so I put that up uh, at the radio station. Just a (laughs) fun thing to put on the wall. Okay, so not a fire on the mountain, DJ. Not a fire on the mountain, Okay, DJ. so I kind of I kind of knew. Okay, I think you did know. <laughs> I but, did know, you guys, I knew. Okay, but, you know, it is kind of interesting because you're, you're talking about, like, I think almost every person involved at KZMU has a deep opinion yeah. on the Grateful Dead. Why do you think that is? I think the, the, the connection that I see is that it's all about community radio. It's much bigger than the dead, I think. <laughs> there, so the that band, the way that they played music, the way that mm-hmm. they brought music to people, the way that they grew and evolved and like mm-hmm. um, included people in their band or in their group or in their crew or whatever, mm-hmm. it's so community radio. It's like you can't get away with that kind of stuff on commercial radio. You can't get away with a 30-minute live jam that's like extremely lo-fi and mm-hmm. and and like decently produced you know what i mean you, that right. just won't happen that's what community radio is for and there's these great stories about the ken kesey and the merry pranksters in like la Honda, you know doing all their thing in the very beginning and listening to kpig um it, from santa cruz so they were tuning into community radio j- just down the way and that was part that was like influencing their story as they were coming up and doing their thing and so i, I feel like there's this deeper thread of broadcasting media sharing stories sharing experiences in this long form people powered way um that translates directly to community radio and almost and there's so many community radio stations that have a dead show mm-hmm. or a dead hour or something that's just for the dead and i think there's a there's a reason for that that was way deeper than i thought <laughs> you were gonna get um one last question you know because you just had this beautiful breakdown of the Grateful Dead and why this band shows up so much on community radio stations. The Deadhead parking only sign. Do you think that, you know, we have some people who are like, hey, I'm not a Deadhead. I don't want to, I'm not going to use that parking space. You know, I, I hope so. <laughs> and, and I, whenever I park in front of that space, which isn't, it, it's not often. I usually like, I have a little car and I try to squeeze it on the very edge right. because our parking lot is so small. Mm-hmm. But if I ever am in a position to park in front of it, I, ha- I get a little I get a little ego boost. <laughs> I'm kind of like, OK, oh, I'm a deadhead for today. <laughs> KZMU station manager Sarah Mead on two mysteries, the deadhead parking only sign and the link between the band and community radio. You know, one thing I know about Deadheads is that they really understand the band's music. Of course, they have favorite live shows. They have opinions on the band's configurations, thoughts on its sound and style. They deeply appreciate this stuff. I wanted to see if non-Deadheads could go there, too. So I asked two of what we're calling our resident non-Deadhead DJs to review a track. The first comes from DJ Stuta from the Age of Hip Hop Electronic. DJ Stuta came in with a surprising tech analysis. Hello, this is DJ Stuta. 
host of the Age of Hip Hop Electronic, and I've been asked to give a review on a Grateful Dead track in celebration of them here on KZMU. Since I don't uh, actually know very many Grateful Dead tracks and like to think outside the box as well, I decided to go with uh, Sea Stones, which is the name of an album and a track composed by Ned Lagan. And you're thinking, well, you're supposed to be doing a, a track by the Grateful Dead. But it was performed by the Grateful Dead. Ned, uh, Ned Lagan was a super smart engineer, probably could have been an astronaut, until he discovered the Grateful Dead and decided to go into music. And because he was such a smart individual, was able to make his own computers involving an Intel 8080 processor and also wire the Grateful Dead's equipment, their guitars and their voices through analog and digital synthesizers, change the characteristics of uh, what uh, a jam band might uh, have done in those days, especially because, believe it or not, because of this incident, or this track, I should say, Grateful Dead became one of the first bands to perform on stage with a computer, a powerful homemade computer by Ned Lagan. Um, and he also used a EMU modulator synth, an ARP 2500, an ARP 2600, a Buchla, modular system which is um, similar to a Moog synthesizer where you're taking wires and plugging them into different holes changing the routing of the electricity to to make the sound sounds that you want and this song in all of its awesomeness on stage was performed 23 times from June 23rd to October 20th in 1974 with Ned Lagan and the Grateful Dead on stage you can definitely Check out uh, versions of this on YouTube. I think you can check out the whole album as well as the tracks, individual tracks. Yeah, because of this, this was one of the first commercially released released recordings featuring the use of a computer. It was also in a quadraphonic, recorded in quadraphonic state, which uh, basically like surround sound, it's got four different channels that it can route in and out of. So it's, it's quite amazing. I talked to some... Grateful Dead fans that uh, may not even be familiar with this track. Now, uh, Ned Lagan did continue to play with Grateful Dead from 1970 to 1975, playing the Hammond B3 organ, the electric piano, and the clavichord, a medieval classic instrument. Uh, and if you catch the live version of this on YouTube, you can actually hear the, the hoops and hollers from uh, one of the most unique jam sessions the Grateful Dead had ever had. It uh, may not be the most digestible track by all fans or electronic aficionados in general, but uh, it's definitely an important piece of history. DJ Stuta of the Age of Hip Hop Electronic heard Tuesdays on KZMU from 12 to 2 p.m. He also has a music history website. You can find that at hiphopelectronic.com. Next, in our reviews from resident non-deadheads, we go to Veronica, the host of Real Talk with Veronica on KZMU. She's coming in very real with an incredible review of the dead's Box of Rain. Hi there. This is Veronica, host of Real Talk with Veronica, on every Thursday on KZMU from 9 to 11 p.m. While I'm not necessarily a deadhead, I do hands down have a favorite Grateful Dead song of all time, and it is Box of Rain. 
This song has a super special place in my heart. I first heard it on the TV show Freaks and Geeks, where the main character, Lindsay Weir, is really going through it. She's trying to process her grandmother dying, fitting in in high school. We all know how that is. Uh, And she puts on a Grateful Dead record and just listens to Box of Rain on her record player over and over and over again until she feels better. I found that so relatable, having lost my own grandmother around that time. I listened to Box of Rain a ton, and before I knew it, the song became kind of a salve. One I still play when I'm down or confused or trying to gain a new perspective on life. One that kind of just soothes the soul. I love how the song sort of just busts out. It's very jangly and upbeat with a steady forward-moving motion, kind of like you're embarking on a journey. Yet the underlying lyrics are very existential. The song was written by the bassist for The Grateful Dead, Phil Lesh, who wasn't typically a songwriter or singer for the group, but he co-wrote this song while his dad was in the hospital dying of cancer. Knowing this lens obviously adds a little more weight to the lyrics and some of the great lines. Look out of any window. Walk out of any doorway. Feel your way. Feel your way like the day before. Lesh croons through a lot of imagery about how mundane life can be, how places you go and things you do are the same as before, but everything changes once someone you love passes away. That person is gone, but they're suddenly everywhere. Maybe is also a very prominent theme throughout the song. I love the line, maybe you'll find direction around some corner where it's been waiting to meet you. What a beautiful and chilling way to think about what can await you even after grief. The personification really adds a mystical feeling to whatever or whoever that new direction is, which is always really hard to envision when you're down until it literally bumps into you. Possibly the most prominent theme of this song is simply the question, what do you want me to do, to do for you, to see you through? It punctuates each chorus as waves of emotion and metaphor weave through these lines. It's easy to envision Lesh feeling helpless at his father's bedside, wondering or asking this question directly to him. But it's just as easy to imagine his father feeling the same way towards his son. Is there something he can do to see him through from the other side? I found myself really fixating on trying to figure out what the box of rain was. Is it grief? Is it belief? Maybe it's just life? The passing of seasons? A storm that will one day pass, leaving you refreshed and rejuvenated, just like a summer monsoon? The one thing that becomes clear when you listen to Box of Rain over and over and over again is that there's truly endless metaphors and possible interpretations for the song. But perhaps that's the point. In fact, I think that's a hallmark of a great song, one that reflects life as it is. The jangly quality to the song also reminds me of another existential great song, My Back Pages. It's a Bob Dylan song covered by the birds with the iconic line, I was so much older then, I'm younger than that now. Now, that line is totally nonsensical at first, but trust me, it's brilliant. One thing I've learned as I've gotten older is no matter how much I learn and grow, there's just so much that I simply don't know. (laughs) Like, living life just unearths more questions than answers, or at least a sense of calm, peaceful futility that you just never know what life is going to throw at you, and there's really no point in worrying. I think a big takeaway from that song is just to relinquish trying so hard to know it all 
and embrace being younger, more open, more curious. So just like my back pages, Box of Rain with its questions, what do you want me to do, is just as existential and unanswerable as life itself, and all the more beautiful for it. So to conclude this musical review, 10 out of 10 would absolutely recommend listening to Box of Rain by the Grateful Dead over and over and over again on your bedroom floor until you feel a little bit better about how sad, but also how beautiful, whimsical, and wonderful life really is. Veronica of Real Talk with Veronica. Hear more of her deep music analysis every Thursday on KZMU from 9 to 11 p.m. And that's our Grateful Dead news for today. As it's Radiothon, if you enjoy community voices like this in your ears, please be sure and support it. You can donate to our spring fundraiser at kzmu.org. The Grand County Commission was in session this week, so... What happened at the meeting? What happened at the meeting? What happened at the meeting? Whatever happened at the meeting? What exactly happened at the meeting? Maggie McGuire, editor of the Moab Sun News, answers. The April 4th County Commission meeting was a night of unanimous votes as commissioners agreed to fund the Grand County Fair and a dedicated small business development center out of remaining tourism tax funds intended for economic diversification before a bill passed by the state legislature barring such use takes effect in July. The commissioners discussed having a joint meeting with the Planning Commission to try and resolve some outstanding issues with the high-density housing overlay as well as construction requirements for small mom-and-pop-style subdivisions. And that's what happened at the meeting. Find recaps of local government meetings at moabsunnews.com. You can also watch these meetings on YouTube. Find Grand County, Utah and Moab City there. And now the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. A hoax phone call sent students in Moab and across the state into lockdown last week. Sophia Fisher with the Times Independent checked in with a few local officials about their response. The Moab Police Department um, last Wednesday, March 29th, fielded uh, a call about an active shooter at Grand County High, and it was later determined to be a hoax. And it was one of probably about a dozen similar calls that went out to school districts and municipalities throughout Utah, but obviously still very scary. They sent all the schools into lockdown. Um, Officers from numerous local law enforcement agencies went and and cleared the buildings Mm -hmm. before they could really determine it had been a hoax. So I I spoke with a couple of local officials about the response to that call and the ways um, that it was eye-opening in the ways that it reveals how strong our responses already are as well. Mm-hmm. So I spoke with Taryn Kay, who's the superintendent of Grand County School District, um, as well as Jared Garcia, Moab chief of police, and Jen Sadoff, who's the CEO of Moab Regional Hospital. So you've got a representative from the school district, the police department, and the hospital. These are all agencies that work together on these types of responses. Anything mm-hmm. um, notable to pull out from your conversations with them? Yeah, I think it's really important to note that uh, Chief Garcia said he was overall, of course, there are always places to improve, but he was overall really happy with the response. He 
and Assistant Chief Lex Bell actually happened to be at a conference in St. George that day, so they weren't even able to be here. Um, but obviously, officers responded from not only the police department, from, but from the sheriff's office and the National Park Service and Utah Highway Patrol and, and essentially every local law enforcement agency you can think of uh, responded. And yeah, Jen Sadoff at the hospital also just talked about, you know, what would happen. They were they were preparing for about five minutes over at the hospital, thinking there were going to be incoming casualties before they learned mm. that it was probably a hoax. But mm-hmm. there were still a few minutes there, she said, of just like terror. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Sadoff said that mm-hmm. she's really proud of her team at the hospital and they've dealt with large kind of disasters before. But there's that added layer of it being a small town. And, you know, she said there were there were folks in the emergency room like trying to prepare and also wondering if their kids were impacted, mm-hmm. um, which is I can't imagine how terrifying it must be. Um, But on the whole, it was really good to hear at least that the hospital and the school district practices, I think lockdowns and uh, local law enforcement agencies have already practiced um, responding to supposed or hypothetical active shooter calls. They have Mm -hmm. another such training next month, actually. So there are policies and procedures in place that have been practiced and worked on before that incident happened. And what about thoughts from um, Superintendent Taryn Kay? Yeah, um, she was actually placed into lockdown herself in the high school, which she obviously described as being really, really scary. Um, But, you know, she wanted to thank the law enforcement agencies and students, uh, staff, and, and faculty in all of the schools for mm-hmm. you know handling the response well because of course it can be it can induce a lot of anxiety and fear, let alone potentially trauma mm-hmm. for students to have armed officers um, in their classrooms uh, and, and so much uncertainty, of course, in general. Um, she also did clarify that the school district received some flack for sending out a text, a mass text mm-hmm. to parents only after lockdown was lifted and not while lockdown was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but she said um, in all all likelihood they would never be able to send out mass communication or at least the school district Mm -hmm. wouldn't during an incident because that would have to be handled by an incident command center also it's just simply not highest priority at that time the highest priority is staying safe and not necessarily communication is like one rung below that right and you know we even had people calling the radio station at the time for information and all we could do was direct them to the grand county school district facebook page because they were updating it once they did Mm -hmm. learn it was a hoax but it's tough one that's happening and I know that um, many parents showed up to different schools as well. Yeah and I mean I have to you have to respect the fear obviously of being a parent and and hearing about this and maybe hearing about it from roundabout sources who knows Um, Mm -hmm. and at the same time recognizing the you know administration's limitations in a situation like that Um, but I I should mention also Kay added that she's going to start responding to um, questions about school safety in weekly batches so folks can um, call them in or email them to her and she'll Mm. start responding to those. Um, there are going to be more debriefs among agencies moving forward. They've already had some. There will be more. And there will be some roundtable discussions with law enforcement agencies on school safety around the start of the next school year. Well, thank you for the information, Sophia. And where do you want to take us next in the Times Independent? Certainly um, land management and specifically sand flats. Okay. So we heard this week that um, sand flats recreation area is looking to increase fees. Yes, they're uh, they are seeking input right now on proposed fee increases in Sand Flats Recreation Area. The proposals include a doubling of nearly all fees, although it does include the striking of the uh, five dollar per vehicle towed fee. But everything mm. else essentially would double. That would include, you know, the annual pass would double from twenty five dollars to fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, importantly, this is the public comment period. Comments are going to be accepted until April sixteenth, so you can send those in, in a variety of ways. You can check out those ways, you know, at our website or in a paper or just by you know finding the BLM press release directly. 
did the BLM say, give a reason as to why they are considering these fee increases? They provided kind of a broad statement, you know, discussing how visitation at the popular recreation area increased by 46 percent from 2017 through 2021. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there weren't many more specifics about exactly, you know, why these fee increases now. Um, I am going to be actually interviewing some folks from the local Bureau of Land Management office to hopefully get some answers to these questions for next week. But (laughs) I do think the, the information is just kind of broad at this point, not very specific. All right. So just a heads up that this is a consideration and that the public comment period is open now. Mm-hmm. Where else do you want to take us in the paper, Sophia? Indian Creek. All right. <laughs> San Juan okay. County. Okay. Indian Creek. What is going on in Indian Creek? Indian Creek, uh, as folks may know, is a climbing mecca. It's also you know, a very scenic area that a lot of tourists and, and visitors will stop at on their way to Canyonlands National Park. It's about an hour south of Moab in San Juan County. And a coalition of local, local and national nonprofits and land management agencies have started uh, this new climber stewardship program. I mm-hmm. guess it's in its fourth season, so it's not super new, but it's new to me. Right. And this involves you know, hiring uh, a couple folks during each climbing season, so spring and fall, to host coffee you know, climber coffees mm-hmm. in the morning and visit crags during the day to help climbers understand the local ecology and history of the area, as well as responsible recreation in the desert and climbing etiquette in the outdoors, because Indian Creek, like many places uh, in southeastern Utah, is seeing a skyrocket of popularity. So I know that Indian Creek experiences some closures at times because of raptor nesting. Can you tell us about that and how that comes in with climber education? Absolutely. I mean, they dovetail very closely. So I mentioned in the story, you know, some of, some of the things that the um, climbing stewards communicate is very familiar to us in Moab. Don't step on the biocrust. Don't disturb archaeological sites. Use a mm-hmm. wag bag. Uh, but other educational points are very specific to Indian Creek, and that does include these seasonal climbing closures or climbing avoidance areas mm-hmm. that the Bureau of Land Management institutes to allow raptors, including golden eagles and peregrine falcons, to nest. Um, these Birds have been returning to Indian Creek for generations, sometimes to the same nesting site. And if their nests are disturbed, especially continually disturbed with folks climbing underneath them, it's pretty likely that the nests could be abandoned or the babies could fall out and die. So it's, you know, they they institute these voluntary avoidance areas over a series of cliffs in Indian Mm -hmm. Creek. Of course, not the entire area, but just a series of cliffs. And they usually last from spring until late summer. And it sounds like these stewards um, are an important part of, you know, getting the word out about that that among other things. Absolutely. And that was actually a really interesting point of conversation with me and the the two current stewards. Mm -hmm. They talked about how their identity as climbers themselves, you know, they know the insider lingo, like they know how to to talk to climbers and like share the stoke, so to speak. They're both climbers, but they're also intermediaries for these Mm -hmm. big land management agencies. And that gives them this unique equipment to be able to get people to care about this because Mm -hmm. they they say that a lot of Mm -hmm. climbers get really frustrated with decisions that seemingly come down from this vast bureaucracy. Like, what Mm -hmm. do they know about Indian Mm -hmm. Creek? This is just coming from like the federal government. Mm -hmm. Um, But these two stewards are able to bring climbers back to that specific area and that specific moment and like the specific birds on the cliff behind you and to to personalize what seemed to be kind of depersonalized uh, decisions. Sophia Fisher, staff writer at the Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. The first highlining guiding business was recently founded right here in Moab. Allison Harford of the Moab Sun News tells us about it. 
Moab resident Faith Dickey has been a professional Highliner for 14 years. Um, she has a ton of awards, like she has 15 world records, and she's done festivals all over the world, um, and has also been featured in National Geographic and Netflix and Travel Channel, and now she's started her own highlining guiding business called Elevate Outdoors, which is also the first highlining guiding business in the entire U.S., the first one in the whole U.S. That's yes. pretty fascinating. Now, yeah. they're, you know, certainly adjacent to this sport is canyoneering. There are plenty of canyoneering companies and mm-hmm. guide companies, but highlining is a whole different beast. Yes, definitely. Yeah, it requires all this type of rigging, um, which is something that Faith talked about a lot with us because she said there's not a lot of women involved in highlining um, and there aren't a lot of women involved in this whole rigging process, which is basically the process for anchoring and tensioning a line. And so it's this really crucial aspect of slacklining. So Faith said one time she was in a course for it and she was the only woman there. And so this business, she wants to do a lot of things with it. Like it's for locals it's for tourists it's for women to get into highlining um so yeah it's really cool so what is the what is the um level of entry here for it to take a highlining tour faith says that really the only thing you need to know how to do is um you have to be able to hike like about two miles in but from there the company will take care of all of it for you um obviously it wouldn't be great if you were like petrified of heights but other than that they provide all the ropes and the harnesses and everything and so really all somebody needs to do it is interest. Did Faith talk about why she wanted to start a guiding business in the sport? Yes, yeah. So being a professional athlete for so long, she said it's just gotten challenging as she's suffered a couple injuries and just been burned out. And so she really wanted to continue with the sport, but wasn't really sure how. And then two women reached out to her on Facebook and asked if she could guide them in highlining just because she was this athlete around town. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of this sparking moment for her where she realized that she could turn what once was her professional sport into her new business. You can find her business at elevateoutdoorsguiding.com. And moving on, the Momsen News always covers some interesting arts events, and there's uh, one that's returning. Yes. Art Walk is this Saturday event during the season. It usually goes from April until the fall, um, where participants are encouraged to walk around town to explore local galleries and meet new artists. So the first Moab Art Walk of 2023 is happening on April 8th. So Art Walk, different organizations and businesses are involved. Um, Tell us what's ahead on their schedule. Yeah, so this year there are four participating locations in Art Walk. That's Gallery Moab, the Tom Till Gallery, Moonflower Co-op, and Moab Arts. So I talked with Greg McDonald, whose work will be featured at Gallery Moab, and also Riley Lubick, whose work will be featured at Moab Arts. And what do they have to say about the work that they're showing this artwork? Yeah, so Greg um, is doing something exciting in that he's showing some original um, painting. So a lot of people will recognize Greg's artwork because he does these really abstract watercolor paintings, um, mm-hmm. and sometimes he'll put an eye in it and then the 
kind of abstract form takes on this new life and shape mm-hmm. um but a lot of times it's just kind of these beautiful colors mm-hmm. and he said uh he does a new painting every morning what? so he never really plans these out yeah it just wow. he just kind of lets them happen and he said even if he does try to plan them out he doesn't usually like what comes out mm-hmm. of it and so everything is really in the moment so all of his paintings are called he calls them what's mm-hmm. um because they don't really they aren't really meant to be something and they aren't really meant to depict something but usually people will see something out of them so Mm -hmm. his works are super striking and it'll be really fun to see his originals because prints don't really do original artwork that much justice Mm -hmm. like sometimes they can't get the exact colors right or things like that and so it'll be really cool to see his works at gallery moab and the other artist yeah spoke to yes riley lubick um will be displaying some of her work at moab arts so she's a local artist who's known for depicting landscapes and outdoor features with these really bold and bright colors and very flowy lines. And so recently she said she's been going through this period of stylistic exploration. This exhibit will show off some of her larger landscape paintings, which she hasn't really done much of before, and also smaller block prints. So she also does these block prints of moonflowers and these really small pieces of the desert. So she's really trying to capture in this exhibit like the vastness of how it feels to stand on top of a canyon, but also how it feels to get down onto the surface and start exploring details. Yeah, and she's at Mo- Moab Arts? Yes, she'll All be right. at Moab Arts. When is the art walk coming up again, Allie? It'll be on Saturday, April 8th from 5 to 8 p.m. Um, the Fiery Furnace Marching Band will also be going around town, so there will be live music too. Um, and if you miss the art walk, not to worry, most of them will be up for the entire month. And there will also be art walks May through November. And finally, Ali, I'm hoping you can highlight one more story that folks can find in the Moab Zone News this week. This is kind of an exciting one, honestly. Great. I feel like I talked to a celeb. Well, tell us about it. Why are we excited? <laughs> yes. So I did a Q&A with the anonymous admin of Memes of Moab, which is this super hyper-local meme account on Instagram. Um, and they spell memes with an A, so it's M-E-A-M-S of Moab Um, and I asked them about that and they said it's because it's a play on Kyle Mears's Instagram handle which is Mears of Moab Mm -hmm. and the admin said they were hoping people would confuse memes for Mears but that's not really how algorithms (laughs) work so now they're stuck with this like misspelling but it's intentional (laughs) so you know for the people who aren't following this instagram account what can people find there so the account was started in may 2021 and now it has around 1800 followers its posts comment on like really niche housing policy to state legislature um to poking fun at mountain bikers so really all these posts are meant to be incredibly niche and it capitalizes on the local community none of these would be understood by anyone living outside the area and sometimes the posts aren't understood by um, the account followers either (laughs) a lot of a lot of these posts have comments like I don't get it underneath them Um, because they're so niche that exactly maybe only one or two people understand 
Yes. <laughs> One of the most niche ones that I found was um, this post made in September that depicted the woman from the painting Christina's World by Andrew Wyeth um, in 1948. But instead of gazing toward a farmhouse, she's been photoshopped onto the housing development of Royal Crossing. Mm-hmm. And there's no caption for the post, so users would have to know to recognize both the painting mm-hmm. and know what the painting means. And they would know <laughs> have to know how to recognize a Royal Crossing. <laughs> and one comment under the post read, can we get more memes for the common folk? Okay, and yet, despite all this nicheness, it's a popular account. Yeah, very popular. I think it it kind of has the same satisfaction that Moab Pub Trivia does, Mm -hmm. which is that when you do know what these are about, it really creates a sense of community, Mm -hmm. and you do really feel like this is your place. And also, I really wanted to do a Q&A with the admin because I've noticed that some of their posts stem from articles that we write in the Moab Sun. So kind of a fun collab, <laughs> I thought. <laughs> right. That was my question to you. You know, what motivated you to reach out to this anonymous admin? Well, I think I've been following the account for a while, even before I moved to Moab, because I had friends here. And I've just noticed that a lot of people in my own little community within Moab follow it. And so it just seemed like a fun opportunity. You know, it's it's not completely unusual, but sort of unusual to talk to an anonymous source. Um, I know right. that it must be important to this person to keep anonymous. Did you talk about that? Right. A little bit. I huh. think in being anonymous, it almost feels like this fun other presence that we all have. And sometimes people will comment under posts and ask if it's an admin reveal, um, to which they usually get responded to with another joke. But yeah, so I think it will remain anonymous. But also something that I discovered is that this admin also runs the um, Grand County satire account, which is called Grind County, Utah. Okay, so that's new information for us. Yes, I didn't know that. So for listeners, there is another account that is also sort of um, poking fun at Moab and Grand County issues. Mm -hmm. Any similarities or differences there? Some, yeah, the Moab posts mostly um, poke a lot of fun at tourists and the Grind County, Utah posts uh, focus a little bit more on Grand County policy things. Mm. Um, I also asked this person what their thoughts were about using memes as a tool of protest or um, commentary because a lot of the posts target political figures. The admin said that They believe humor and images are a really good way to understand and explore an issue, especially because you would need to know the context of these housing policies, um, things like that to understand the joke. And so they said they don't think memes can replace normal public engagement, but it is a really low stakes way and fun way to participate in local dialogue. Anything else to pull out of this Q&A that you did with this anonymous administrator of the memes of Boab? I also asked them why they're never afraid to tag organizations or people mentioned in the jokes. Um, And they said they want people to know that this account is talking to them. And they also want to start a dialogue. Like they want people to respond. And they said, um, I want to live in a town with a healthy culture of satire. Allison Harford, staff reporter at the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. That's it for the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. You can find links to those stories in the show notes at our website, kzmu.org, or wherever you listen to the KZMU News podcast. As always, thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU, community-powered radio.